Good morning again. Welcome to the firehouse. Mike? Good to wave at people too, yeah. Oh, wonderful. That's good. Crowd participation is wonderful. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah. It is good to see you. All right. Well, um, I thought uh, before we get started here, we have a fun video we'll watch that I hope will be a blessing to your prayer life. It also relates to one of the points we're going to cover here this morning. So um, I, I hope you'll enjoy this. Let me get the lights here and hopefully the sound and everything will work out. But hopefully the fun little video will get us started here. Hey, the prayer is over. I'm staring at you, but I'm going to get it. 
Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. So, we're just going to kind of start at the beginning. Here's, most of you know John as a, John the Apostle. He was the one that was in the close uh, inner circle of Jesus there. Um, John is also known as the disciple who was loved by Jesus. And he wrote that of himself, you know, and so it's a good perspective of, of God's love and the love of Christ. But he's writing this letter, it's, you know, it's believed to be around, somewhere around 90 A.D. when he wrote this letter. And, and he's writing to, to Gaius here in, in the church. It seems like in another location where, where John is not at there, but um, there seems to be some connections with John to Gaius and, and some of those at the church there. But we are going to look at just three, these three people that he specifically mentions here and see what we can learn from them. Some good examples and some bad ones. You got the good, the bad, and the lovely. Some of you might have seen the old Clint Eastwood Western, the good, the bad, the ugly. Anyone? Alright, it does. It's an old, it's old Western, but in um, this case we have, there were two good characters and one bad one. So we got the good, the bad, and the lovely. And we're actually going to start out of order. The, the very first one he mentions here is the one we'll refer to as the lovely, um, the lovely Gaius, if you will. Um, and there's a few things to, um, we just want to draw out of this section that he wrote, wrote to Gaius, his friend, his dear friend. I love how he says multiple times, uh, Four times at least he calls this person, Hey, my dear friend, here's, I want to tell you something. My dear friend, my dear friend. Um, and the first one here, verse 2, is one I want to draw your attention to. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. There's a few things here. I think we've got um, a few things to notice by this verse. Some of you might have heard this verse before. When I was a young Christian, or maybe even before I became a Christian, some people had showed this verse to me. And um, they they kind of shared it in the context. It was a part of a, a business I was doing. You know, I was a, a engineer at Hewlett Packard for a while, making good money there. But but there was a group of guys that kind of told me, you know, good money, a good salary, that's nice. But boy, are you really getting all that you could have, all the money that you could have? Because you see, God, He wants you to to prosper. Your soul is prosperous, and so He wants you to prosper financially. And I got in a circle of people that were kind of like, if you're really following Christ well, you should be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You know, that's a part of the ticket of following Jesus. Just what all his disciples did as well, you know. Um, But, you know, we just have to watch out for that. You know, I think when you read this verse a little more closely, you see that the Apostle John is writing to his friend here and he's saying, I'm glad you're getting along well spiritually and and I'm praying for your health. And I'm praying for your life in general to go well. But he was saying to this guy, you're getting along well spiritually, but your health, you know, I'm, I'm praying that that would be better. That you would enjoy good health. He's not saying, you know, hey, you're, you're so spiritually in Christ, you have all these riches in Christ, and, and really to be a good Christian, you've got to be living that out and have all this wealth and stuff. Because that was not the example of Jesus himself. That was not the example of the apostles. They didn't have to liquidate anything before they went to their martyrdom. You know, they, they had liquidated their lives when they began to follow Christ. 
And so we have to watch out for that kind of healthy, wealthy, and wise doctrine because it doesn't seem to be the case at all. And you know, the other thing we have to watch out is the, the other side of the equation. I think the devil throws something in there. He says, hey, look, you know, if, um, if you are spiritual, you should be in good health. When you find yourself in, in bad health, I think the devil says, you know, if you were to just figure out this faith thing, if you just figure out this Christian life thing, you would be in good health, just, just like your soul is. And, and that is not the case at all. Gaius, you look at his life here, and John is commending his walk. His Christian life was going very well. And he wasn't in good physical health, apparently. And so we just have to watch out for that. Sometimes I think the devil comes in and just says, Boy, you wouldn't go through hardships in this life if you were just obeying, if you were just following God like you should. And, and we really have to watch out for that. Because, you know, God has our best interest in mind. And sometimes we get short-sighted and we can go, you know, well, if God really loves you in this little box of the 70, 80 years you have on earth, you should have money, you should not have any troubles. But God sees, you know what, in eternity, if you persevere through this trial, you will have a glorious reward. He doesn't just see, oh boy, I feel so sad for them right now. He sees when they get to heaven, there will be something amazing there for enduring whatever hardships and trials come your way. But don't buy into the lie that if you were more spiritual, if your walk was closer to God, you wouldn't have hardships because we actually see the opposite to be very true. The Bible promises if you want to be godly and follow Christ, you will have persecutions, you will have trials. And so watch out for that one. Um, what else do we have? You know, um, goes on to this first section here just talks about... Um, verse 4 says, um, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Verse 6, you know, they've told the church about your love. And just um, want to look at, at those two verses real quick. But the Apostle John is writing here, and he's just saying, this is a pretty strong statement here. John is saying, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are, are walking in the truth. You know, the truth is the truth that Jesus taught. John said in, a, you know, in the context of, of his writing in 17, John 17, 17, he said, you know, I pray that... Um, the truth sanctifies you. And then he goes on to say, your word is the truth. You know, Jesus is praying and he's just saying, God, sanctify them with the truth. And your word is the truth. And so he's saying, you know, when you're continuing in God's word, when you're living it out, um, he, he said he has no greater joy for his children. You know, he's implying in some way that there's a, he did, this wasn't his physical child, but a spiritual child. Someone he'd helped lead to Christ and was helping care for them. But to know they were walking in the truth of following Christ gave them no greater joy, you know. And I don't know what gives you joy, but I hope that that's something you're praying for in the lives of those around you, in your own life. Just to be walking in the truth, living it out. Um, But I think if you are walking in the truth, verse 6 will be probably true as well. Because Jesus often spoke of love. And it says um, uh, to Gaius, again, they've told the church, you guys have visited you, you've been hospitable to them, and they've told our church back here where John was, they've told our church about your love. You know, I just thought about the challenging question and application to that is if someone has came and stayed with you for a week, some period of time, and they reported back where they, where they came from, what would they say? You know, would they say, boy, I stayed with this person and they were really, they were really passionate or they're really entertaining. Boy, I just really had a great time when I was with them or they're really, uh, really funny. They're really, uh, they had a lot of money. Boy, I just stayed there. I noticed, wow, they must, they got a lot of money. Things are going well. Um, but what, what would they notice if someone hung out with you for a while? What would they report about you to the church? You know, they say, this person is so amazing in their love. They didn't have much, but they gave me everything they had. They laid down their lives. They sacrificed. They did. What would someone say if they stayed in, in your home or mine? 
Um, but I think this would be a prayer I've, I've been praying that God would make this true of me. You know, the one thing about Him is His love. The one thing about the Firehouse Church, you go there, you hang out with His people, you will be loved. That's, that's my prayer for us. That consuming fire, I think, you know, in some ways, uh, consuming fire is an expression of God's love. He's so passionate, so jealous for our love uh, that it is likened to a fire, which is just crazy, you know. Um, but, but what are you known for? You know, and let's be known for our love here. Let's see here. Um, now he also says, uh, just here, it's not one of the points up there, but verse 8, it just says, We ought to therefore show hospitality um, to such men so that we may work together for the truth. And he's just saying, hey, there's some people when they're um, working for the Lord here, they're talking about Jesus Christ, they're out to share the gospel. Take hold of them, embrace them, care for them, and you will share in the reward that they get for preaching. They're going to be out preaching to some people here, but you're going to be rewarded if you're just even hospitable to them. Don't take that for granted, you know. Um, but the previous letter that John wrote that Brad shared last week, he actually said, here's some people that you should not welcome into your home. You know, you think, well, this is the Bible, it's the New Testament, there's people you should not welcome. And it was very clear that he said there's some people that were not following Christ as, as Christ truly was, that they were saying He was not God in the flesh who came and saved the world. They said other teachings about Jesus and He said, don't take them into your home. You know, sometimes we can be, oh, that's so judgmental, you know, but, you know, God authored this through John. John knew the love of Christ. And love, one of the descriptions of love from 1 Corinthians 17 is love protects. There's a time where you got to say, you know what, there's some people that are really have some... Uh, you know, some bad motives about sharing Christ. So they have a Christ that's really kind of this screwy Christ that doesn't relate to the Bible at all, but there's some spirituality there. He says, don't even let them in your home. Oh, that sounds so unfriendly, so unloving. He said, don't even welcome them. There's people you should watch out for, and there's people you should welcome. And you've got to make sure that both of those are, are very loving things to do because there can be a danger in letting someone into your home that does not have the, the truth of the Bible like, like we've been given here in the New Testament. And so watch out. And yet at the same time, we have some people coming to town in a couple weeks here. We have a team from Omaha. That's, uh, they're sending a mission team to help us out. And some of you might have heard the mission team was supposed to be 40 or 50 people, which we thought, man, that's a big team. And I got a call later that said, you know, actually it's closer to 70 people. 70 people are coming to our church. Um, they want to try to serve us in any way possible. We think we'll get them passing some flyers out, um, get them working in the gospel, maybe out on 16th Street, engaging people in conversations about Christ. But 70 people are coming to hang out with us. And so I thought, wow, like Jeremy shared, you know, I was like, we're talking about hospitality here and we have a big hospitality opportunity coming up. But are you willing to open your home to show the love of Christ through your household, whether you're a single household or a couple or a couple with kids? Or are you willing? Because, you know, um, we're instructed by Scripture that we ought to show hospitality to people like these. And so we don't know the details of how it's going to work. Seventy people, there's a chance that if everything works out, all the guys are willing to sleep on the floor at the new location, assuming um, we have to be certified with the city. That has to be a legal thing to do. They're willing to do it, but the city might not be as willing. Um, so we're praying that that's an option, that they could stay there at the warehouse. Um, and if not, that there's 70 people that... Probably somehow between me and, and you, we hope to have them have a place to sleep, to lay their pillow or throw their sleeping bag down. But I encourage you to be thinking about it. You know, sometimes we're like, well, I'll be hospitable if, if you do X, Y, and Z, then I will serve you. You know, it's like, well, some, we don't know X, Y, and Z. We don't know if they're going to have 
35 women that need to be housed or 70 people total. Or, but if you had a hospitable heart, you know, the rest is details. We'll figure out who's going where and what's going to be required. But I want to have you guys thinking about this team that's coming up. So we have opportunity to be hospitable to them. Uh, we also have a picture of the flyers that we are going to be passing. Now, there's some fun flyers. Um, we had our, uh, one of our friends out in Salt Lake City has prepared some flyers for us we're going to be passing out. But any of you think those are cool? I do. Um, they're very cool. They are. So um, this guy, Tony, just volunteered to, to help us. He's been spending some time just to help prepare some flyers for us. And we are um, going to have kind of a coming soon one that I think we'll pass out with the Omaha team. And then we'll have this uh, door hanger one that has a few more details of some of the events we'll be doing. But the reality is this flyer drop is going to be the biggest one we've ever engaged in as a church. I think up to this point we might have uh, passed out 2,000 flyers once as a big drop. Maybe three. Maybe three. 3,000 flyers. And... Uh, we're going to get 15,000 of these, um, each one of these. And so Omaha team's going to help us pass out the, the first wave, but 15,000 is a lot. You know, I think they're, they're going to, Morgan's dad is a pastor with the Omaha church, some of you know, but he runs a pretty tight, pretty tight ship there. So they'll probably pass out 15,000, like, by lunchtime. I don't know. Um, uh, probably not, but they, they run a, you know, Morgan thinks they will. But, um, but then the other flyer drop, we're going to probably try to recruit people. You know, maybe it's the Rock and Fort Collins, get their college folks down here or something. But 15,000 is five times more than we have ever done ever. And, um, that's an exciting thing, but be praying for that. We're trying to get these to the printer. We've got some edits and stuff we're working on, but trying to get them to the printer by tomorrow evening, close the business so that they can print them, you know, cut them, ship them, get them out here by the time the Omaha team's here. But keep praying about those. Keep, keep praying about those. But it's some, some exciting things here, and we're, um, we're looking forward to hosting this team. We're looking forward to kind of uh, getting the word out about, about the name, about the name of Jesus in our neighborhood. So... Um, Anyways, let's move on to this next one here. Okay. Now we're going to take a look at di- uh, diatrophies here. Diatrophies is, he qualifies for the bad here. We've got the lovely, the bad, we'll get to the good, but diatrophies was, was not a good dude. Diatrophies is bad. He's, you know, I think if Gaius has spoken well of here in this letter, and this letter is a part of the scriptures that will be, um, you know, it says the scriptures are eternal. His name of this, this hospitable man will be recorded for eternity. And so will the name of Diotrephes. And that's not a good thing. Um, you know, it says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I'll call attention to what he's doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Goes on, he's uh, putting people out of the church. But I just, I can't imagine the situation where these, there's this church and the Apostle John has a connection to some of these people. It's potential that this guy Gaius is even uh, kind of someone that John led to the Lord. And there's this church, though, and there's this guy there going like, hey, you know, it looks like he's trying to be Diotrephes the dictator. Kind of like, hey, you know, I've, I'm a leader here, and he puts himself forward as a leader. And he's puts himself so far first that he's even above the Apostle John. You know, I don't. that seems like a pretty proud thing to me to think the Apostle John's writing a letter to our church. You know, I don't know what that'd be like the Apostle John Meyer is writing a letter to our church and someone says, oh, I don't know about that John Meyer character, you know. Well, well, I do, but... Um, but in this case, you know, he's, he's put himself so... It says he loves to be first, you know. And the essence of loving to be first is pride. You know, that's really the error the devil's to come to and, and wanting to be first, even before God. But, but Diotrephes wanted to be first. He wanted to exalt himself over others, even, even John. 
the disciple who hung out with Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we have to watch out for that attitude. You know, I think um, one of the points here, uh, as it relates to church, we have to watch out for those who want to be in authority, but they don't want to be under authority. A lot of times people have selfish ambition. They want to lead people. They want people to follow them, but they don't really like the idea of being led by someone else, being under someone else's authority. And especially in a spiritual environment, you have to watch out for people who who want influence in your life, but they don't want to be influenced. And in the scriptures, you know, the, the character requirements for a spiritual leader are high. And, and they relate to watching out for people like this, people who would do you harm, people who would be di- disconnected from other input. And in some ways, you know, I, I like the fact that our churches, we have a unique set of leadership. We believe in something that's in the New Testament here. It's called plurality. And no church ends with only one person at the top. You know, the CEO that calls the shots with no one else in their lives. You know, plurality means, uh, like in our case, there's three pastors. Each one of us equals. And we sit at a round table. It doesn't stop at the, you know, the top of a peak or something. We, we watch over one another's lives. And if one of us is out of line or not, you know, following, you know, the scriptures right or whatever, the other one could say, hey, but what about this? And what about what we've been taught? And there's a way that it's a safe environment. There's no one sitting at the top. Even at a national letter, uh, level in our association, it's not like, well, this finally ends at Mark Darling. You know, he's the top of the pyramid. Or John Hopler or Rick Whitney. There's a, there's a, a council of national leaders that sit together and watch over one another's lives and doctrine and watch over one another's church. And there's a very safe thing there. When the buck stops with one person, watch out. It can be a dangerous thing, and I've seen much harm come to people because of that. But that's the environment Diotrephes wanted to create. He wanted to be the first one there. Um, at the same time, you know, it says he was gossiping maliciously. Let me see. Um, don't gossip. Uh, that's, that's a pretty straightforward point. But let's look at gossip here real quickly and beware of gossip. Here's a, a definition here. Idle talk or rumor, especially about the personal or private affairs of others. This is gossip. It's just idle talk about other people, other people's lives. That you know, um, it's not even your own life. You're just talking about someone else. And gossip in general is spoken against in the Bible. Here, um, you know, there's a place here that uh, this is even from the Old Testament. It's spoken in the Old Testament and the New. Uh, but like verse, uh, we'll start in verse 16. Do not spread slanderous gossip among your people. Do not stand idly by when your neighbor's life is threatened. I am the Lord. Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Comfort, confront people directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. But gossip is... Um, a lot of times I think the way gossip occurs is that it's like we have a complaint. We have something that, you know, someone did something to me. Someone sinned against me. And instead of confronting them about it, we find another outlet. An outlet that involves someone who is not a part of the problem. Someone who's not a part of the solution. Often we have this outlet to go, yeah, you know what they did. And, and we end up not confronting them because, well, I felt good to get that off my heart. And really we should probably have gone and talked to them. But that's, that's sometimes how gossip occurs. Sometimes you have to watch out for phrases like this. You know, I really love that person. I really love Greg Miller. But you know what he did the other day? Let me tell you about that. And, um, gossip, you know, people don't just say, hey, I'm a gossip. I'm about ready to gossip here. Okay, you know, get ready. Usually it's couched in something really nice and you say a compliment and then you dive into something about someone's life and they're not there to defend themselves. It might not even be true, but it's wrong. Now to take that another step is uh, to be malicious about it. You know, the definition of gossip is just idle talk. It's something, it's none of your business. You, don't, you shouldn't even be having a conversation about that. But then when you throw malice in there and you say bad things or slanderous things, 
we really have to watch out for that. And so we just want to be a church that does not gossip. We're not prone to, oh, did you hear the latest, greatest thing about such and such and so and so? That's a sin. That's wrong. We don't want to do that, much less to do that maliciously and plant seeds. And another thing we have to watch out for, you know, most of us would say, okay, I know I shouldn't be the source of gossip. You know, I'm not going to talk about people. I'm not going to start rumors. Most of us buy into that. Anyone, anyone agree we shouldn't gossip? Also, does anyone uh, want to be a source of gossip once you walk out of here? No? Okay, good. Me neither. Um, but there's another verse here. Uh, did I have it in here or not? Um, it's Proverbs 17.4, but it, it basically says, um, Wrongdoers eagerly listen to gossip. A liar pays close attention to slander. Most of us say, I'm not going to go out there and gossip. Well, the way gossip works, it's kind of tricky. You think, well, I'll be the end. I'm the lightning rod. Bad news comes to me and it stops here. You know where gossip needs to stop? Before it gets to you. Because once it's got to you, it's tainted your view of someone. It's possibly untrue. It's possibly slanderous. Gossip, you don't stop it with you. You stop it before it gets to you. And we have to watch out. Sometimes we go, but I'm such a good listener. It's Christ-like. To, I want to hear your concerns. I want to hear your concerns. Uh, likely that would lead you into a role of being a gossip. Deciding what's true and what's not true. It's a very dangerous place to find yourself. And some people, they know. They know, you know what? I know that person's going to say, stop telling me, go talk to that person. But this person, they'll listen to me because they're, they're such a good listener. You know, watch out. You know, that's kind of like they see a, a chink in your armor and they go, I know I can talk to this person. They'll listen to my complaints, my accusations. I'll get some release from that. I won't even have to go talk to the person I need to. Let you and I not be someone like that. Like Diatrophes was maliciously gossiping about others. We need to put a stop to it. And, you know, if you find someone starting to talk about someone else, some other problem they have. Um, you know, one thing I was taught as a young believer was just the phrase, a simple phrase that says, if I'm not a part of the problem and I'm not a part of the solution, then I'm not a part of the pollution and I'm not a part of the solution, um, then I'm not a part of the conversation. If it's not your deal... And, you know, sometimes as a, a spiritual leader, as a pastor, we get involved in things that we become a part of the solution. If someone else had some problems or thing, we help them work it out. And we do become a part of the solution. But sometimes we, we get a part of a problem that's not ours. That's, that's gossip. It could lead to slander. Or, you know, if you're not a part of the solution, you're not helping bring about peace and resolution, you should, you should punt on that conversation. And we've got to watch out for that because it says gossip, gossip's like a tasty morsel. Every one of us, when someone says, hey... Did you hear about, you know, all of a sudden our ears just perk up and go, yeah, tell me more. And sometimes we follow it by, but don't tell anybody this. It's too late. The damage is done. It's tainted someone's view and often in a way that might not even be true. We have to watch out for this. Um, this guy was gossiping about the Apostle John, you know. How much more would we be open to gossip, any one of us? Um, so beware of that. Uh, and we're going to take a look at, at Demetrius here, the good. And this is... Um, Demetrius, you know, there's really one thing that, that, you know, Paul doesn't say it, or John doesn't say a ton about him here, but he just says this statement. It says, Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. And uh, some of the Bible scholars believe that Demetrius was the one that delivers this letter to, to Gaius and the church there. And, um, you know, I can just, can you just imagine that? The Apostle John says, here, will you take this letter to this church? And in it, he writes something really cool about you. Uh, maybe the letter is sealed and he shows up. He doesn't even know what it says. And they read it and, you know, hey, my name's Demetrius. And you hand him the letter. And I just think that would be an awesome recommendation, backing to have. When, when someone sends you with so much confidence, they say, this person is well spoken of. 
um, by everyone who knows them, but by also by John was a spiritual leader, and he says, this guy you can trust. Um, and we have to watch out for people who don't have it. A lot of times people have a good reputation in their circle. These people think they're great. You know, maybe they led a little, led a little Bible study and have some people that they dialogue with and they share their... Um, but sometimes outside of that circle, there's people, good people who say, watch out for them. They burned this church. They did, you know, and we have to watch out. He, Demetrius was well spoken of by all. Diotrephes, I bet you there's a few people that thought Diotrephes, he's a great communicator. Um, he's a very powerful and forceful leader. And they, I bet you there were some people that he had a circle. But he was not spoken well of by all. I know a situation of a church that had a guy that was just really causing some trouble and uh, really related to some dangerous behavior, inappropriate behavior towards women in the church. And the pastors got together and they said, you can no longer be a part of our church because of this behavior. He did not repent. It did not change. He showed up in another church, a bigger church. And it seems like that, that young person is in line for being one of the next pastors at a really large church. He might be thought of well there. But there's other people that know this guy did harm here. But Demetrius was spoken well of by all. Are you? And not, not by all. I'm not talking about everyone. You know, Jesus said, Woe to you if, if everyone thinks well of you. You know, you're kind of keeping peace with these people, the people that hate Jesus, the people that love Jesus, and they all love me. They killed Jesus, but they love me. I must be doing something better than Jesus, you know. But watch out when everyone speaks well. But he's talking about those who are following Christ, those who are in the truth, those who are in love. If they think well of you, and spiritual leaders who are also in your world think well of you, that's, that's a good place to be. But, and that's where Demetrius was. It's a great example. Watch out for having a circle that thinks we're really cool and spiritual when those who might know our life and some character issues to watch for might have some spiritual discernment. They, they might say, Ooh, I don't know if I'd put that person in that leadership role there. And so we, we have to watch out. But Demetrius was spoken well. You know, the last, the last point here we'll just end on is um, it's, it's not one of these people here. We have Gaius the lovely, who was well spoken of, was hospitable. We got Diotrephes, the dictator, who, who was kind of a, on a power trip and, you know, uh, wanted to be first before the Apostle John and, and things like that. And then we have Demetrius, who was well spoken well spoken of by everyone. Um, the last thing here, I love this. It's mentioned twice in these last letters here, this one and the one before, but it just says, I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. And we'll talk face to face. You know, that's an interesting thing to say twice. You know, John's saying, boy, I could write you a really long letter here, and I could go into all the different things, you know, the details about what you should say to diatrophies and this and that. And he said, you know, I'm writing you this letter, 14 lines, and, and I hope to see you soon. I really would rather see you face to face and talk. And, you know, I think there's a, a principle that's communicated. There's no command. There's nothing there. But there's an example that he says, hey, I'm going to write you this. I've got to, you know, we've got to get this out there and make sure things are safe and you're set up there. But, but I want to see you face to face. And we just have to know, we have to catch the idea that um, uh, communicating face to face is, I don't know if you'd say it's more spiritual, but it's, it's definitely more personal. You know, if you look at ways that a kind of a, a pecking order of communication that's personal, I remember once I was taught in this training thing, you know, it's like the least personal thing I could do when I'm, you know, I was uh, raising support and trying to share with people about the ministry I was a part of. And the least personal thing you do is write a letter. You know, you write a letter, you send it to them, you mail it, you hope, you know, they get it, you hope they respond, something like that. Another level of communication, nowadays you could probably do an email. You know, I send you an email, it's like an electronic letter, that's fine. Um, maybe a little more personal interaction, you could text somebody. You know, I text them, they text me. 
only 126 characters, whatever. But you know, um, but um, but then you can move maybe even a more personal is Facebook. You know, you can respond real quickly. But but the most personal thing you can still do now in the 21st digital century age, whatever it's called, is be with someone face to face. You know, there, people don't get discipled on Facebook. People don't get discipled through writing letters, though. You know, sometimes you got to make the most of what you can have. None of those are wrong. But you know what's really good is when you can be face to face with someone. And and John says, look, I'm writing you these things because I got to, you know, give these to you. Those letters became so important; they're in the scriptures forever. But he said, I want to be face to face with you. And we just have to keep that in mind in this, you know, technology age. It has the ability to to communicate things without being face to face. When you're face to face with someone. It's harder to be mean. It's harder to be mean to someone. You know, you can write a mean letter. Sometimes emails are like, you can write a really long email, you get all your heart in there, some little frustration, some anger, and you send it, and you feel so good. And the other person goes, oh, I just got hit by a train. Um, that's not, you know, but what you'll find is if you got something really on your heart, and you're face-to-face with someone... Uh, you might be a little more gentle because you know, hey, this is really going to hurt them. You know, when I can push send and turn my laptop off and I can go wander off, but when I'm sitting right next to them and I know this could be hurtful, you know, and maybe I might even make this person cry. I might even, you'll be a little more gentle, a little more loving when you're face to face. And you might try to aim for that when you have opportunity to have conversation. Sometimes, you know, Paul was accused of being like really ferocious in his letters, but they're like, well, he's not that ferocious in person. But Paul... When he was in person, he talked to people, he shot straight with them. And when he was in another continent or other location, he shot straight with them through his letters. But you want to make sure your boldness, you know, some, some other world, whether it's email, text, or something, is, is the same boldness you have when you're face-to-face. Or your love, you try to show face-to-face, is the same when you're, you know, sending other mediums there. And, but I think Paul mentioned this twice, or Paul, John mentions this twice. I'd rather be face-to-face with you. I'd rather be face-to-face. I know a good pastor... Um, that, you know, he told me at one point, he's like, I, I never resolve any sort of relational things by email. Because you just, you just can't, you, you can read into an email that can have a spin on it that they didn't intend or that you receive. And, you know, I know that myself. Sometimes I'll get an email and I'll go, well, that was mean. Or a text that I go, I don't follow that, but I don't think it was nice. And then I'll talk to someone in person and I'll go, what a blessing this person was. What they were trying to say was such a blessing. There can be so much misunderstanding when you have one-way communication. And, and when you got to do it, you got to do it. John wrote a letter. We all have it for eternity here. But he, he wanted to be face-to-face. You know, eventually when we get to heaven, we'll be with the Lord face-to-face. Not just electronically, not just through His letters. We'll see Him face-to-face. There's a, a personal, intimate thing there. There's a way love can be expressed so much better that way. Um, but anyways, I just hope there's some things you can come away uh, from this letter in your own life. And we'll just pray and kind of commit our actions to the Lord here. Again, Lord Jesus, we just, we just thank you so much for your example to us. We thank you that you passed on your love to your disciples, even to the Apostle John. And... Uh, and He passed it on to others. Lord, He modeled it. And Lord, we just thank You. Love is not something you store up or have, have just emotions about, but it's actions. And it's, it can be described in our, through our actions. Lord, and we just thank You um, that You gave us an example, Jesus. And You gave us an example through Paul. And You gave us an example that love sometimes actually has to protect and have hard conversations. Um, and at the same time, it encourages and speaks well of others. And God, we just ask You to help us to be a loving church where Your name is um, revered and honored 
that where we are not prone towards gossip because we think we're mature enough to handle it. Um, but Lord, that we would speak well of, of one another. We'd watch out for one another. We'd watch out for your name. We'd watch out for spiritual leaders you've placed in our lives. That we'd be a blessing to them, as, as the scriptures say. But, that we just, we just thank you for this example in, in Gaius. That we thank you, we can learn from the example of Diotrephes. And God, I pray you'd help each one of us to be like Demetrius, well spoken of by all. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, thank you guys for coming this morning. Um, next week, we're going to start, Jeff's going to start us on the, the book of Jude. So we're going to go through um, Jude, and we'll do two parts on Jude starting next week. So hope to catch you there. Thanks.